We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now, on to my guest for today. Dan Chan, the billionaire's magician. Dan became interested in magic at a young age, learning from the pros and frequently misdirections, a magic shop in San Francisco that offers lectures and guest magicians. After working in the finance department at PayPal in its early days, he embarked on a full-time career as a professional magician. Dan has dubbed himself the billionaire's magician because he performs for some of the highest profile figures in companies, including Google, Netflix, LinkedIn, Salesforce, and Zillow. He also gives talks to companies and organizations on such topics as avoiding scams and pickpockets. In this show, Dan provides a lot of insight and tips into being a creative entrepreneur. First, he believes in reverse engineering success. When he wants to achieve something, He assesses his goal to make sure it's realistic and achievable, then figures out the steps he needs to take to get there. When COVID hit, while he at first feared for his future, he quickly learned 
what it took to do shows online, and now finds himself regularly booked for acts he performs from his own theater. He also believes in the value of learning from others and copying techniques to make them your own. Succeeding in the entertainment business is as much about authenticity as it is about learning your craft. Dan also refers to himself as an improv artist, one who can quickly respond to the audience and environment no matter what it throws at him. He credits his many experiences just getting out there and doing his thing to be one of the most important ways to learn. Dan started teaching his son James magic tricks at an early age, and at 13, he's also already achieving some success. Now, let's get better together. Daniel Chan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. Um, what's really cool is that I met you also through matchmaker.fm, I think, and I'm pretty sure. Um, and what's awesome is that you're a magician. <laughs> and I have honestly, in the last couple of months, have uh, had a new respect for the, for the art of being a magician. Um, and partly because I went to this Christmas party where uh, Adam a friend of yours and, 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 uh, acquaintance of mine showed us how to do magic over zoom, <laughs> which of course we're all doing these zoom things and zoom holiday parties. But before we get it, get into all the magic and stuff, which is really super cool. Um, why don't you give us a little background on how you got to do, uh, what you're doing today? Yeah. Um, I would watch a lot of magic shows just like any other kid and be fascinated by it. Um, the real itch kind of happened when I saw a magician perform. His name was Gerald Joseph. He showed me one key thing, but uh, also there was a magic shop uh, in San Francisco called Misdirections Magic Shop. So everything comes together. And when you look at all the dots behind you, as my friend Ralph from Join Up Dots, another podcast I've been on, you can see what your interest is. And you, you chasing your interest and cultivating that. So I've been to hundreds of magic shows and I've seen the best of the best. And you kind of cultivate your taste and you ask yourself, what do modern audiences want to see? And what did the greats behind us do? So we stand on the uh, shoulder of the giants who came before us. And I just made an active thing to study and read and learn everything that was out there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I know where that magic shop is. It's on, I think it's on ninth seventh, and ninth, Irving. right. Ninth and Irving, right. Which has got uh, one of my favorite bakeries um, is, is right over there called uh, Arizmendi's. And we go there all the time and I've oh, drive past it on the way into the park, but I've never, never jumped in or never been in. So Arizmendi's? Yeah, the uh, as well. Bakery. Okay. Yeah, bakery. Um, make some of the best scones in the city, and they have a daily pizza. So we always would get the pizza and then go into the park. I'm, and- I'm going to have to ask you for that, and I'm not sure if I've been there before. I like. Uh, there used to be um, the the cafe right next door that just shut down. That was beautiful, and I love peasant pies, which is a little bit further, but it is Misdirections Magic Shop at one two three six Ninth Avenue. Cool. And um, the 
owner is Joe Pon, and he would have these lectures. And I think the first lecture I saw was probably someone like Eric Anderson or Eugene Berger. And Eugene Berger is now no longer with us, but he was one of the magicians called the mystery workers. So he was really focused on story. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a, there's lots of different types of magicians. I mean, do, do you prefer a magician or illusionist or what, what's sort of the, the, the standard way to address someone? I mean, I don't know, like this is totally new to me, so I'm learning a ton. Some people will say magicians, um, are a little bit more generic than illusionists are guys who are, bo- we call um, illusionists box pushers because, or furniture movers, because they get paid to move furniture because it's not fun <laughs> doing all that. And, or dancers, they have dancers. Uh, yeah. But magicians will often say like, oh, I'm a magician. No, I'm a mentalist. Oh, okay. So then other people will say, I'm an infotainer. And they want to have this thing. And there's boring magicians and they're good magicians. There's boring mentalists and good magicians. I'm I'm leaning toward a mind control artist hmm. because no okay. one ever, ever said that. And I actually have a whole routine that people can see on how it's not mentalism. It's more like mind control or that's the theatrical storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm going with it to places people haven't. I think it's great if it's your first magic show to see the cups and balls and the linking rings mm-hmm. and the classics of magic. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, you want to take it to the next level where people haven't seen it. And that is the more sophisticated, refined things. You're not going to believe a five-year-old is really reading minds, but when you're watching some television shows, you get really into it and you want to create that aura of a theatrical experience where people are like, I have no idea how it works. Their minds are blown. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the whole uh, concept of, um, how how to interact with the audience and how to read the audience and 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 really have a, it it it's hard to put my finger on because I, I don't watch a lot of of magic shows. I mean, I I do sometimes see Penn and Teller's Fool Us, which I think is just sort of a really cool way to do it, and they seem like really like great guys. Like I've never like the encouragement and just the whole way it's all done just seems like such a good like fraternal group of people that don't like, like that. I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's ego like in everything, but everyone's that I've ever met that's done magic or seen seems to be like pretty cool. Is that, is that kind of the way it is or am I just getting fooled? (laughs) That's the biggest illusion. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of um, hypocrisy, I think, because if you show it to a magician, oh, it's it's not exposure, but if you show it to a non-layperson, but the lines are being so blurred that when do you become a magician? When you do your first event, when you get paid, and then when when is it not copying if you combine two ideas? So a lot of times the people people will say, hey, you don't copy, but then there's the opposite, which I think is very, you should steal from other art forms. You should mm. not copy someone's act. So you should think, hey, I did this and I'm going to twist it and I'm going to change it as far as possible. And that kind of makes it more art because now you can see the source and you've created it into something beautiful. Yeah, I think that's kind of like being a writer. Yeah. Um, any any kind of creative endeavor, as you said, you stand on the shoulders of the giants before you. And I mean, I don't know how many different ways you could write different stuff. Like I'm sure it's all been written just like, 
it's all been invented or it's all been, you know, done before. But like you said, the your take on it, your spin, your uniqueness to it seems to be a really good way to approach it because clearly you have to, in order to learn, my guess is you have to kind of know the basics. So as a writer, you have to like know how to write a scene and you probably are going to read all the great writers. As a musician, you probably have to be able to do like a card trick, you know, or hide a coin or whatever it is. Like the, the, the it just seems that, that all these sort of endeavors, especially the ones that are, um, have a tradition and a culture, and then people are just trying to push the envelope on the creativity, you know, like writers have the same problem about, oh, well, you, you sort of stole that kind of concept or whatever, but I think you're right. It's like, if you make it your own, then it's your own art. Yeah. And that's and a very powerful thing. One thing I, I ask is if you're doing something, would the person who is watching you either be fooled with it or be inspired by it or said, you took it to next level. So for example, if I saw a magician and I did something and then you saw me, you wouldn't know the difference. But if they saw me and they had respect for that and said, I like that twist that you did, then that becomes art. And then you're not justifying that. And you, you, it, it's become, there's a point where craft becomes art. Mm-hmm. And it, it's when you start asking yourself to push yourself and saying, I'm going to put me into this. Like, for example, if I were to do this routine, I think of more magic as scripts. Can you copy the same body movements? And if you did the body movements, is that you? Is that naturally who you are? Are you a dancer? Mm -hmm. For me, I'm an improv artist. I love being able to kind of surf the waves and feel the beats because in close-up magic, you're going to say something. You're going to say, sometimes you'll say, oh, it's there. And I can immediately come back with a comeback. And it feels like, boy, this guy's witty. But I've been through 5,000 shows and someone said it before you, but you just don't know that. You think mm-hmm. what you're saying is predictable. I have um, I have many different ways to fork this. Hmm. Interesting. I like, I like, I like how you put it as sort of like, like in comedy. Comedy has bits in their routines. And how they build it on. And so, I mean, you know, hopefully nobody heckles a magician <laughs> like they heckle, like, you know, comedians. You'd be surprised in the really? beginning of your career, you get heckled a lot, but you wow. build up the endurance. Like, for example, I, you, I go to the bar, someone says, oh, you have this. So you learn how to react with it. The guys who don't learn how to react with it love the magic and they still call themselves magicians. They're just like, I can't do it. It's because they never came prepared and now they have this fear of mm. someone else catching them and you know they get caught the same way but they didn't have the tool we other magicians think oh it doesn't hurt my ego that we got caught and i have some way to say it or we prove them wrong or a combination of those because there's some magicians you, you'll still have a great time and you'll say oh he's he's a master at it and they're a classic that we all know but he does it so well that you will give him respect even after you saw it. And that I think is the part that true pros have that they can integrate that. And then you have to be able to sell it because there's some guys who are so good at it. They have, they have a day job. Uh, they, they, some of them are lawyers. I'll tell you the reason why magic is one of the hardest professions is people are willing to do it from two uh, $20 or even for free at the bar to 
$100,000. I know lawyers. I know doctors. I know football players. I know every single occupation, even podcasters, have been magicians. There's no other person who would actually do as much. You might pick up garbage like to be a good Samaritan, but you don't go off on the side and say, hey, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. I'm just going to yeah. dabble in this. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's true. It's true. You, you know, so many magicians who have full-time jobs and then they have this cool website and they don't tell anybody about it. And it, it's like they're Clark Kent because that's the way <laughs> they feel. And that's why it makes it so hard to do it. And you're, you're fighting for market share and it's very competitive. Uh, so in the beginning, I was Dan Chan, the balloon man to Dan Chan, magic man to Dan Chan, master magician, to mm. Dan Chan, billionaire's magician. Oh, well, And it has go. to be believable and it actually has to ring. Like I actually have performed for many of Silicon Valley's billionaires. Uh-huh. I've been flown to Japan four times, Germany, Shanghai. We, we did Mexico. We've done Baltimore. Now I am doing global. Google has hired me well over 30 times. Wow. Netflix, LinkedIn, Salesforce. This is my a shortened client list. My client list is actually way bigger than this. This is just the names you recognize from its right. A to Z, from Airbnb to Zumingo and Zillow. Wow, wow. So, that, so, so. Well, yeah, no. I, 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 it's for those of you listening. It's in the, it's in the little Zoom thing. So, um, <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes as well. But so. So, in, so, so, so that the, you mentioned sort of the evolution of how you went from, you know, Dan, the Dan Chan, the magician, now Dan Chan, billionaire, magician to billionaires. Um, how did you find that groove? I mean, and, and the reason why I'm so super curious about this is because it sounds, this sounds a lot like being just an entrepreneur in general, right? I mean, you, you have to kind of find your way. There's lots of people doing the same thing. People kind of dabble and then they don't dabble. Then they go all in and they don't go all in. I mean, being a writer is the same way. There's so many people that want to write, but actually getting paid to write is the same thing like you. Well, you can, you know, you can do it for free or, you know, get a million dollar advance and all points in between. So exactly. H- how was your, um, your journey to, to how, how did you kind of find that, this billionaire magician was sort of your thing. Well, I saw that there was a guy that labeled himself as the millionaire's magician. So I said, there's billionaires and he's performed for billionaires, but I probably performed for more. So I just said, Hey, no one's there. I'm going to take it. And then (laughs) I, 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 well, here's the thing. What early in my career, I flew out to Sun Valley, Idaho with my wife. And I actually proposed to her at this conference where uh, we were entertaining the families. But when I saw that, Warren Buffett was there, Oprah, Phil Knight. And I was told that Bill Gates' kids were in the audience. They didn't tell us who they were. They had custom Nike shoes made for you that you could design, and then they ship them back for you. They gave custom Monopoly boards that actually were made just for this conference. Wow, that's insane. It's called the Allen & Company's Annual Gathering of uh, Billionaires and Media Moguls. Oh, and okay. we flew out there to entertain. And I actually even took two friends with me. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And you did you, you propose to your now wife there? Is that that what happened? Or After our show, the day that we were doing our show, I took her to this little island and I proposed. And then I think 
afterwards we went to watch a fireworks show and ice skating show and they gave us tickets to that i actually asked the guy who hired us i said can you uh, uh can you get us in and i think he gave us tickets to that and i told him that i was going to do that wow I remember the um production company did th that did that and it was that was kind of like the setting point of where that was the seeds of where the billionaire's magician came from. Hmm. Hmm. And so, wow. I mean, that must've been a pretty, like not a lot of people could actually like, you know, pull that off. I mean, is there something in your background that sort of just, are, are you, are you, were you as a kid, like a natural entertainer or was it just, you were just so fascinated with, with magic and other things? Cause I mean, before you started doing all this, you were at PayPal. So there must have been some, <laughs> I mean, how, how did that all work? Yeah, I worked at PayPal for 13 months. Uh, I actually did the deposits. Like people would send in these micropayments. I mean, we'd actually send it to their bank to verify two micropayments. You've probably seen that in certain banking things. Yep, yep. But they thought, oh, we have to return it. So people would actually, you know, mail us something with pennies in there and then other people would mail us checks. And it was my job in finance, quote unquote, to log everything, put it in a spreadsheet and then credit their account and then drive to the bank and put everything in. There. That was my <laughs> job in finance. And this was with a college degree. So the best part about this was, wow. now when I pitch reporters, which I've been on CNBC twice this year, the first article and the last article actually book in the year. The last article actually talked about how I got Airbnb stock for being an experienced host, but Business Insider twice. Mm -hmm. um, the Hustle, ABC7 News. My son was on Access Insider, Access Daily with Penn & Teller. And that all happened within this year. And that was one of the silver linings with Zoom because I had so much more time afterwards, I wasn't exhausted. Immediately I could go back and pitch or do things. And as we know, a lot of us were struggling for survival. Yeah, especially during COVID. Yeah, I was gonna gonna say how, I know you do, or like last year, I'm assuming, or the year before I did a lot of live shows. Now, now you're starting to do a lot more Zoom shows. Has that transition been, been tough or has it just been this sort of natural like, Okay, got it. Got to pivot. Been 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 doing the game for a long time. It's just a question of okay, different venue and a different experience. In the beginning, I was actually a little fearful just because the income wasn't coming through. But I found out what the steps were, and some of it, a lot of it, was just me figuring it out. I was the first mover, and I was actually telling people where to go hmm. because I'm so familiar with the tech world. When they hire me, I go on their websites and I ask these questions. Most magicians just do their thing and then go learn a magic trick again. I'm actually thinking, what is their business model? So mm -hmm. I've actually negotiated equity in some companies. Oh, um, I'm trying cool. to do more consulting. And things like that are really interesting to me. The business side is just as interesting as the magic side. Once I figure out the magic side, most people just you know, forget it. I'm a little bit addictive. So I reverse engineer success. And I, I said to myself, okay, let's just talk about reverse engineering success. There's a goal in mind, and this is what the goal looks like. How are we going to get there from A to Z? I wanted my son to learn how to do what I'm doing. 
but I started off on the streets. So if someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, can you, would you like to see a magic trick? It's a little bit harder. You can do it, but you're a kid. It's not going to work. But imagine if you were juggling three balls or five balls or three flaming torches, would you stop? You probably would stop because you know see that. it is yeah. good. Yeah, so yeah. at age five, my son was juggling three balls. At age eight, he was doing, uh, you know, five balls. By age 10, he was doing three flaming torches and picking pockets. <laughs> By age 12, he already had two television appearances. Yeah, wow. wow, wow. But I kind of thought, this is what I'm going to teach him. I'm going to teach him everything I know, and then we're going to push the media cycle. So he was featured on Starter Story. He was featured on Mercury News, Tri-City Voice. And now we're looking at other venues because it's pretty interesting for people to see that. But a lot of people are thinking this is going to happen overnight. Absolutely not. You're working at it all the time and reverse engineering that and creating that story. I didn't know that the media cycle would be the way it was in terms of what I hit this year, but I realized that I needed something, whether it was a Netflix special, which I couldn't lean into, but there's, I, I, and also I have three documentaries out and we're probably going to put feature them in film festivals And that helping, well, figuring out what the process is, Mm. is really important to knock over that big goal. For example, one of my goals is to sell out shows. And that piggybacks on going on as many podcasts as possible. Because once people hear it, they're going to be like, this is really intriguing. I would love to see a live show or live show over Zoom. And I also encourage people who are interested there's a lot of other magicians on Airbnb experiences. You can see what's going on out there and you can learn more about it. This is a fun thing. Treat it as fun. Watch as many shows as possible. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, that that whole, it's fascinating about the whole reverse engineer success. So start with the end in mind and then kind of work your way back. Um, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, since I talked to a lot of them and I haven't really heard of a lot of them actually thinking of it that way. I mean, they all want the exit or be a unicorn or whatever, but the systematic way to be like what you're talking about. Okay. I want to be, I, let's say you're the goal you have. I want to sell out every show. Okay. That's a great goal. It's a very concrete goal and it's a very doable goal. I mean, there's no, no, no reason you couldn't do that. But if you're not doing that now, how do you, you know, where are you and, and how do you reverse engineer that process? And, and where, where did you, where did you sort of learn that technique? What was, what was some of the inspiration behind that? Well, in college, I learned about Porter's five forces, uh, also SWOT analysis. And, and then now recently uh, it's blue ocean strategy. So if you know any of those terms, you realize um, what, what people are doing, but you also, in if you study the corporations like, Google, you're realizing they're, they have OKRs, objectives, mm-hmm. key, um, and objectives and key results, key results, right? Yeah. And then also in consulting, you have smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. And then they've, I think they've added, evaluated and reviewed. So that in itself is really long. We're not going to go, go into it, but what's the end goal? Is it specific? Can you measure it? Is it achievable? Because if you don't believe you can do it, you're not going to put your full effort into it. Is it relevant? Is it results-based? 
It's like reasonable, realistic, resource and results based. And then is it time bound? Because you can say, oh, this is going to take a hundred years, but it's yeah. not going to make sense. Or is it time limited, time sensitive? And those are all smart goals. And once you start looking at it in that way, it's a lot more achievable because you might have 25 things here, but you might only want to focus on one or three of them. And those three things will push the levers to something a lot bigger because if magicians are learning the same tricks, then it's a little bit more on the media side because I'll have more experience because magicians often are recycling the same tricks, but they're not going out doing what I'm doing. So it's ends up very incestuous Mm. in terms of the ideas. We're in an echo chamber Mm. and they're not getting outside stuff. They spend too much time too focused on the magic itself. When the first maybe five or 10 years, you can focus a little bit more on it. I think about it as like spending an hour doing this and then just doing an hour of each. So no matter what today, later today, I will be doing a Chinese lesson. I will be probably just lifting some of my weights right here, right behind the curtain. But if I leave these things here, it's easy for me to succeed. But if I don't have that in front of me or that's pretty far off, then I'm setting myself up for failure. So you have to set yourself up for success. There's a, this picture of this as a domino. This little domino can hit over a bigger domino, which can cause this chain reaction. Right. But right. people don't think of that as can this domino tip over the next one? They've hit this and this domino's just got stuck. And then nothing's nothing's um, causing the next result to happen. And I just chain chain all these things together and it just becomes this real big domino. Hmm. So, so the whole thing, that's actually a really good way to put it. Chaining the dominoes together so that you can fall bigger and bigger dominoes. I mean, it's, 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 it, that's a fascinating kind of way to put it because I agree with you that, you know, having a routine, doing things, incrementally for success. There's no overnight successes. I mean, you talk to anyone in the entrepreneur game and they're like, oh yeah, either we we spent 10 years and then we got lucky because four times it almost went out of business. And let me look at Elon Musk, who was part of the PayPal mafia. I mean, he, how many times did his businesses almost completely go um, out of business, but he kept on tipping the dominoes. And that's actually a really good way to put it. So it's not just like a domino. I'll I'll actually, I've never used it this way, but I've seen it. And I've, I don't think I've talked about it on podcasts, but a Rube Goldberg machine, we've Mm. all seen them. We know what they are, Yep, yep. but people don't have these tracks, but think about your life as a Rube Goldberg machine. It's a different thing, setting off a different thing. It's, it's even more creative than a domino. Yeah, actually, that's really, that's a really good point. I used to, you know, as a kid, read mad magazine. I don't know if you were a mad magazine fan, but he had all, they had all those little Rube Goldberg machines all, all over the place. And for those of you that don't know what a Rube Goldberg machine is, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, essentially it's just this machine to do like a simple task, but it's so complicated <laughs> to get through. But I think that's actually um, a good way to put it because it could be a zig and a zag. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of just, I think it's, I think it's like the, maybe it's just that momentum, you know, like the momentum, like if you just work at it, you will find the path. 
Um, and, and I find that really fascinating because a lot of the people that I talk to about entrepreneurship and any kind of creative endeavor, the ones that have been the most successful are the ones that just, they kept at it, but they also realized that, oh, this, I actually can make progress as opposed to having some crazy idea that it'll just never go anywhere. Like, oh, I'm going to be a professional athlete. Well, that's never going to happen. Okay. You can say you're going to do that, but you got to do something that's realistic. And, and so how, what, what do you think magicians can teach entrepreneurs about how to just, are there lessons in, in there for entrepreneurs that the magicians can impart? Yeah, I have a thing called a med talk. A med talk, okay. And um, it's a little bit too long for what we're talking about, but um, we'll put the show notes to my website and okay. you can read the description of the med talks. Uh, it's evolved over time. It was what I used to want to show uh, corporations when mm -hmm. they do team building. One of the key elements about the med talks is I show you how a trick works. Then I show you a different variation of the trick and it's using the same principle, mm. but you still get fooled with it. A lot of people ask, oh, if you're a magician, well, you, you probably don't get fooled by it. Well, yeah, we get fooled and often we get frustrated and that's how you make your name is fooling other magicians. There's some guys who don't perform and they just invent tricks. Oh, oh, really? Yep. Oh, and so how do you, how do you find out about these people that these magicians that just invent tricks? Is there like a website you can go to like tricks.com or something or? No, it, they just kind of realize I want to get rec recognized. And some of them are performers. Some of them will just sell their secrets and they will just, they can't, they can't keep a secret. You, you'd think they can't keep a secret. They want to blab to someone and they want to blab to the top names. So it's kind of like that information flows upstream, you know, flows downstream to hmm other people there's rumors we're in this community and people will end up saying did you hear about this new trick this is great there's message boards for mm -hmm. magicians there's facebook groups and if you stay up stay in there long enough you'll figure a couple things out huh and is and so is there like this is going to sound really silly is well maybe i don't know is there like a guild or like a association of magicians like that you can belong to kind of like the screen actors guild or something like that kind of um there's the magic circle in london there's the magic castle and then there's smaller rings uh which would be the international brotherhood of magicians so it's ibm but don't get that confused with <laughs> international business machine it's, uh, national brotherhood of magicians and you don't have to, you know, it's a whole bunch, it's actually a whole bunch of old, typically white guys do just showing each other boring <laughs> tricks that aren't that great. Girls like us are working, but occasionally, you know, we'll take some time off and go in there and sweep some competitions, make our presence known and go back. And people just think, oh, if this is a secret society. No, you just pay your $35 due. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's not that much. You have to say that you have interest and you have to kind of prove like you're interested. And then to be honest, we all have to start somewhere. So we just ask, um, you, you know, it's very old ritual. Don't reveal the secrets. But when do you reveal a secret? Oh, when someone talks to you and shakes your hand or convinces you. It's kind of like car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> You have to be a people person and <laughs> people to like you 
and people start opening up and start talking and they start giving giving some of it away. You're not going to hear all of it. You, you have to just stay in that game and talk to enough people. And if you talk to enough people, you're going to have success. It's kind of like what, what Warren Buffett says about reading. Just keep mm. on doing it. Yeah. No, it's yeah. true. Yeah. No, that that's so true. I, I think that's part of, you know, when, when entrepreneurs like trying to, like, if you're trying to figure out if you want to be an entrepreneur, which I think is everyone, not everyone, but people aspire to that. And one of the things that they're like, well, how do I know when I'm ready to do something? How, how do I get in the, in the game? And I think you're right. I think you just got to do it. I think you got to try and read and talk to people and you will find the opportunity. I mean, and it's not, may not happen right away, but the opportunity will present itself. And hopefully you've got enough skills to, to hit, to hit that opportunity because I found that, uh, I mean, you never know when it'll come. <laughs> That's, I think, the craziest thing about about being an entrepreneur. It's like you never know when opportunity will say, like, "Hey, are you ready?" And you should hopefully be ready. And and but so you you mentioned that you do consulting for businesses. Can you tell talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sometimes when you're too into your business, you don't realize the bigger picture. So if you make an offer to someone saying, "Hey," If I over deliver, maybe you can, um, most people don't think of a magician that way. So I just say, uh, I said to one, my, the first time it happened was I actually saw value and I knew where I was going. I told this client who was hiring me for maybe like X amount, like, which was low considering what I was normally charging. But I said to him, um, I'm going to give you so much value you're either going to give me equity in there or you're going to give me the biggest Yelp tip or a Yelp review or um, a testimonial. She did all of that. She, or like she did most of that. I think uh, she gave me a thousand dollar tip for a corporate event. Wow. You know, she is my biggest fan. She follows me on social media and I also give back at, in different ways. I ask sometimes I might say, Hey, I'm working on a new trick. You want to see it? So it's more about giving first. It's kind of like that free sample. I think she her budget was 500 or 750. And I said, I really don't work below a thousand, but I wasn't going to sit home. I wasn't going to tell them, oh no, I'm not going to do this because this didn't hit my thing. I was just like, is there a way to creatively give them an option to thank me later? Hmm. And they did that. And that led to other equity deals. And if you're as busy as I am and people realize it, they're going to give you an offer sometimes, especially during Christmas, uh, you know, like then you can charge multiples hmm. like on a day that, I mean, if it, it's demand, I have right. four shows in a day, then the fifth, sixth and seventh can go up higher if I wanted to. And some people will, will actually do that. Otherwise I can farm it out to someone else once in a while. Uh, I've done up to 12 shows in a day on zoom, just as a personal challenge. I did a show at one, one thirty, two, two thirty, three, three thirty, four, four thirty, And I think that was eight shows and I did four more. And if someone wants us to just say, Hey Dan, I don't want you to rush through it. Yeah. Just buy two blocks. Wow. They're there. It's my time. It's blocks. If I'm going through like cranking it out, it's just a craft. Some people will say, Dan, we want your A game. I don't want any other booking on the rest of the day, which is pretty much when you used to fly somewhere, we would price that into the model. Right. One right. day to travel, one day to work, 
one day to come back. Oh, right. it's in Europe. Well, we're going to price in jet lag. And that's why magicians did that. And now that I have a theater, I have more walkaway power. You see my theater here? Yeah. Everything is surrounded me. I could do a better job here than I can do in a live performance. Why would I ever want to leave? Right, right, right. Wow. It's all about business model and how do you put the pieces to fit together? Now we're in a global economy. I go on this podcast, I hit a couple of them, and everyone's coming and saying, where can I get tickets to the show? This sounds really interesting because it's the most cutting-edge magic you'll see hmm. with storylines that are authentic. And for those of you who have families, you have a cute kid who's just as talented as many of the top pros. Yeah, I saw people. Yeah, I saw I saw your son on YouTube doing some some magic and it was pretty it was impressive for 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 what it was. I mean, again, I'm not an expert on it, but I was thoroughly entertained. And I can definitely tell the 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 soda the apple does not fall fall far from the tree, so to speak. He was he was really well polished for his age and when 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 Penn and Teller surprised him, I, it was, he, it was just this, this truly authentically cool moment. So yeah. that's definitely a dad win on that <laughs> for sure. He, he's going to be, he's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Um, yep. So, wow. So how, so you mentioned that kind of the way you run the business is that you have blocks of your time and do, do you do magic shows seven days a week, five days? I mean, what's the kind of the model? Um, when people call, we'll do, we'll do it. Um, it's, it is a seasonal or cyclical uh, business. So on certain times of the year, you either say, Hey, I'm going to ramp up and create new things or do other things. Um, or you lower your rates. Like for example, it's a little bit slower with time. And I got clients who know me, they might hire me one time and be like, Oh, I, I didn't know you're this expensive. I can suggest to them a date and I can say, Hey, this is the best date for me. And this is where I can sell you, uh, sell you a different time so that it's kind of like milk. It expires. You want to make the best of your time. Yeah. I mean, it, just sit around and do nothing and say, I have nothing during this time. Every time I show something, it becomes better. Right. Right, right, right. And so do, do you, do you train other magicians or do what, what's, do you have any like aspirations? I mean, other than of course, you know, you, you're mentoring your son. Um, but is there other, other people that you kind of mentor on this or, I mean, how, is there like an ethos to give back to, to you know, like bring up the next generation? I mean, one of the reasons I, I bring that up is because, you know, my philosophy is if you're an entrepreneur, you need to, one, you need to teach people what you know, and two, you need to make sure the next generation of entrepreneurs gets the knowledge, right? That's really important. Is is that is there a tradition of that in magic? Yeah. Well, you want to find people that already put in some work or things that you know you can help with. For example, if you see something wrong, you can tell them, hey, this is the better way to do it. And I have been on platforms where like takelessons.com where I give lessons uh, and also I give feedback to magicians who, um, who have acts. So it just depends on just cultivating the relationship and people asking with respect. Uh, it's interesting. When I made a big splash recently on Facebook, I just put some really cool, you know, 
articles out there, I would get random people just hitting the friend request. And it's like, no. I, and I used to do the same mistake. But if you're going to make a friend request, you have to say, I noticed this and write something lengthier. The higher up you go, the more the more that you're going to have to do this because you just need to respect your own time and have mm-hmm. understanding of you being a gatekeeper to set limits. So if you are getting a friend request, maybe you can have this keyboard shortcut that says, Hey, I'd love, for, uh, it's interesting because in different communities, you probably get this in podcasting guys, just friend requesting you for no reason. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it becomes very impersonal. Oh, hey, Jamie, I noticed that you talked about this, or I noticed that you're an executive giver, a director at GSY Giving, or an expert contributor on as a grief coach. Yeah. Or, a, you know, so you tie that into your introduction so that people know why you're connecting instead of just cyber stalking people. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this, this, so this is actually, I'm glad you brought this up because this is a really important skill. This is the the cold email, the cold pitch, the outreach. And you're right. I get a lot of these and it's a little annoying because people don't spend enough time to at least give me some sense that you know what I do or that you're interested in something, like give me something. And I mean, I get pitched Oh man, I don't know how many times a day, cold emails or then or on a platform for the podcast or just whatever. And my, you know, the reason why I'm a grief, grief coach or expert in grief, which is silly um, in one sense is that my, my wife passed away uh, three and a half years ago from leukemia. Um, and her, her name was Jane and she, she was a publicist for professional athletes. And she's the one that taught me all this stuff about cold emails and about like this relationship building. The, uh, the one thing she always said was that, uh, everyone likes to hear the sound of their name. So when you address someone, um, in any email, make sure you put their name (laughs) because everyone likes to see their name. Right. And so, you know, fun fact, if you, if you send me a cold email and you don't put hi, Jari, hi, you know, hi, Jari, whatever, I will hit delete because <laughs> you didn't even take the time to learn my name. My first, I mean, and I'm easy to find. It's not like, it's like I have a unique name. So I, I, I think that's a really good point that you bring up because a, as we ascend in our careers, within our community, either as a magician, as a magician, or, you know, as an entrepreneur, and we start to get successful and people start to want to like get, have our time, which I'm glad. So this is such an important thing because I have the same, I have this problem with time, managing time. How do I protect my time? Entrepreneurs can sometimes have this problem as well because they're always trying to figure out the next big thing. Right. So how, how, how has, how, how, how has that evolved in your life when it came to your time? Like you, you mentioned a little bit of it, but I'd like to think, like talk a little bit more about how you manage your time and then how you respectfully say decline a friend request or something. Yeah. Um, so this is something I just wrote up recently because I blew up the social media circles and people were asking, I was providing lots of free content and value. 
And then people just wanted to take, take, take. So I just, I just said, I'm getting way too many friend requests. I'm just going to type this. And it says, uh, I'll read it out loud. It says, thanks for the friend request. However, I only friend people I know. To get the best response when making a friend request is to reach out to those you know personally. And if reaching out to someone you haven't met but admire, considering including, consider including who you are and why you want to connect. Dan, feel free to follow my personal page and fan page below. So there's a way that people can follow you, but I don't want to put my family stuff out there. And that is just for me and that I'm still sharing, but there's privacy filters on Facebook. Right. And I'm probably going to hone this because this was something I wrote real quick because I was getting probably like <laughs> several a day specifically from a specific group that I was making waves in. And once you make waves, whether it's going AGT, Penn and Teller, your limit on Facebook, I think, is 5,000. Once you hit that limit, you're going to have to make a new page. And I prefer not to archive and check two pages. Right, right. Uh, you know, they should maybe have something that's past 5,000 and say, you're legend or something. If <laughs> like you more set, you know, a little bit more settings where it, it is like an influencer level. Yes, yes. It's like influencer so that it makes it easy. And for those of you, for the computer programmer engineer who wants to be the next Facebook, build that with in mind. Do, do the, you know, to be honest, Mark Zuckerberg did this. He looked at all the feature sets of MySpace and everything out there, Friendster. He just created that. But if you start with the end in mind, you can make a better Facebook. Yeah, agreed. with privacy in mind. But, uh, right now, they're like saying, oh, Apple's not letting us take this. Well, it's not going to be hard once you know how you're going to beat Facebook. You can probably do that within three, three, three to five years if you're a good computer programmer. And that's where you can get someone like me on your board. Or if you like the ideas, a lot of times you'll need someone to help you execute on it because right. there's lots of pieces of puzzle and you have to be generous with these advisory shares. You know, there's so, you get an idea from somewhere, but I helped a podcaster simplify his contracting because I, I there was this legalese and I'll share it with you between you and me afterwards. Yeah, and sure. it has the onus of him. I said to him, your vision's kind of small. What if maybe you can sell out your library because everything has a beginning and an end, but you don't right. have an exit. First of all, it says that you own the rights and you own this. And it sounds like you're an oppressor. I wrote, I rewrote the contract and I said, this sounds better because this is a spirit of what you want to come across. But I also said to him, I worked at PayPal. I thought that maybe these micro deposits won't work. If you're making a hundred bucks, I don't care. <laughs> I make a hundred bucks, you know, consulting on human IPO, which is something that's really cool and new. I'll talk about that later. But yeah. I said, a corporate magician who's making a lot, they're not going to care about you sending a check. I don't want to be a burden on you. But if, for example, you sell out, I would love to be compensated. So it says he does not have the he does not have the um, obligation to share revenue. So I just put the ball in his court to be the nice guy. Yeah. If he wants to be a nice guy, and I reframed it. So now if he said, wow, I remember that Dan guy. He gave me this great thing. 
he, he might help me in another way. He might help me connect with a hero or something else. But now that it's a lot friendlier, he's the only podcaster that has this friendly contract. Now I've given him a competitive advantage. And most podcasters I've been on, they have something very plain, but then they don't have a unique USP. So with podcasters, I love staying in contact with them because sometimes I have this brilliant idea for them. And I'll just say, hey, you got to look. And sometimes they're just following me on social media and just clicking like. And I'm like, wow, this guy's going places. We're going places and we're going places together. And it feels like great because if I throw a party, I'd love for you to come along. You've given me a platform and there was no monetary exchange. I find that a lot of things that I did in the beginning were very transactional. And if we look at things as transactional, there's Bob Burke who talks about be a go-giver. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the Bible, it says it's better to give than to receive. Right. Right. So oftentimes people give with an expectation of getting something back. Yeah. There, people are going to give you something back because if you provide value without holding back, they're going to come to you. They're going to promote you. They're going to become raving fans. But the thing is how much value you are providing is it authentic. And when you resonate with people and they know that you're, a nice guy. And I think I I was not a nice guy when I first started. I thought I read the <laughs> Bill Gates biography and uh, yeah. sorry for everyone else that uh, knew the Odan, but you learn your lessons and you realize, oh, this didn't work. Maybe I'm going to try this and then authentically do that. So we make mistakes, but there's a new day, there's a new outcome and we can always learn from, learn something from everyone. Well, you know, that's a great place to end. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, really been insightful. Uh, got a, learned a lot about uh, the magician mindset um, and as well as how that applies to entrepreneurship. So, Dan, you know, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jari. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.